Welcome to The Catch-Up, a podcast where we bridge psychology, linguistics, and mythology to provide communication tools that fit your mind. I'm Neil. And I'm Melissa. I'm a linguist and author with a concentration in discourse analysis. I also study and write about applied mythology and its effects on our ability to relate to ourselves and others. And I have 10 plus years of experience in the field of psychotherapy. I write about the myths we all have in our mind and their effects on our everyday behavior. This podcast brings together our respective fields so we can see what goes on in our minds, both socially and personally, so we can have the tools to communicate our way through any experience with understanding. Be sure to head over to patreon.com slash meal, M-E-I-L, or meal.podbean.com to check out our patron programs and view the patron tiers. For just $4 a month, you'll become a top-tier supporter and gain access to all of our current and future bonus episodes and content. Thank you so much for your support. Now let's catch up. Hello and welcome to The Catch-Up. As you all know, this is Season 2, and Season 2 is all about uncomfortable conversation. Today we'll be talking about confrontation with a very special guest, Emmy Schneider-Green. Emmy, or the non-judgy vegan as she's known, is a vegan coach and writer who's passionate about encouraging behavior change without the dogmatic, pushy language we often see in the activism space. She shares plant-based eating and intersectional veganism with non-judgmental, human-first language, and she's committed to encouraging more empathetic communication to foster behavior change, no matter your platform. We have been listening to Emmy's evolution of thought over the last year here, and we really wanted to have her on to talk about this topic because of her work, perspective, and the clarity she provides in a lot of the things that she knows we need to get after, especially in this category of confrontation. So Emmy, if you could tell us more about your background, that'd be great. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here and love your podcast and the work you're doing, so yeah, I'm just really honored to be here and talk about all this stuff that matters to both of us. So I am a marketer, writer, and coach, and primarily my niche is I help people eat more plant-based. And I say more plant-based because I'm the non-judgy vegan is my handle on Instagram and my business name. And I'm very passionate about combating the sort of dogmatic, preachy, connotation that really surrounds veganism. When you say the word vegan, a lot of people have a real negative reaction to that right away. And that's just because of the real judgy, pushy language that a lot of vegans unfortunately use. So most of what I would do um, for my work is I just try to help people eat more plant-based. I write about that. I coach people. um, And I'm also really interested in looking at how we can use more effective and empathetic communication in all areas whether that's in terms of how we eat or any behavior change or talking about race or politics, really anything. Um, I have a background in communication, so I'm very interested in looking at those theories and looking at how we can really just make our, our communication more empathetic and humanizing across the board to have much more productive conversations. Neil and I both think that that is wonderful work. We really appreciate your perspective. We've been following you for about the past year on social media, and we've loved seeing and hearing the things you've been shedding light on and the way you go about, uh, you know, potential confrontations. And by the way, when we talk about confrontations, we're talking about baseline definition of two opposing points of view, two or more opposing points of view. 
a lot of times the word confrontation, I think, has the connotation of being potentially volatile or angry or sometimes a little bit scary. We're not using that connotation. We are purely using the word confrontation to mean opposing points of view. And so, Emmy, we were wondering if you could shed light on why you think sometimes having a potential confrontation is helpful and necessary. When do you think it is a good choice to talk to someone about a point of view of yours that opposes theirs or vice versa? Yeah, great question. And I am so appreciative of the work you guys are doing. I hope slash think more and more people are becoming more interested in just how to have better conversations. And I think that's largely because we all sort of know the way we've been talking to each other is not working, whether that's getting into conversations, well, fights with your family members who vote differently than you, or I think there's such a tendency right now to just block people when you disagree with them. And I've certainly been guilty of this. And I'm very much a student in all of this myself still. But I think to answer your question, confrontation is necessary, not in that negative sense, like you said, because we have to speak up about what matters, right? And I think so many of us are just taught to, quote unquote, be polite. I think maybe especially women. I'm from the South. And I think it's such a thing to just not rock the boat and bite your tongue. And I did that for most of my life. And it's only been recently that I've started to speak out more against or about things that really matter to me. And so I think that's why confrontation's necessary is we have to stand up for what we believe in and have these hard conversations and nothing changes if we don't talk about it, right? And if we can't have honest conversations, especially when they're potentially triggering or could be volatile, um, we have to talk about those things. And I think a lot of people here, when I say that I'm the non-judgy vegan, this actually just happened I kid you not, five minutes before we started talking, I had commented on something. Someone was talking about vaccines and spewing some pseudoscience disproven facts about vaccine safety. And I said something very politely and they were like, you know, for someone called the non-judgy vegan, you're sure judging a lot. And I think that's interesting that people just assume if you have that in your name, then you're not going to have any opinions or you're not going to speak out and we have to, right? So yeah, if, if I think confrontations can be had in a constructive way, and that's what I'm interested in learning more about and hopefully helping people have. Absolutely. We agree with you there. I think we're all kind of in evolution with this, especially based off of everybody has different backgrounds and ways of communicating when they are in confrontation or when they kind of are anticipating that. And so what we're trying to figure out is also ways to communicate hey, we're all just trying to do a little better over time and how can we work with the emotion that's going on but understanding that it doesn't have to be so abrupt. Um, So I guess what we're wondering is what your thoughts are on does confrontation have to end in a fight or be a fight that is disruptive? Are there other ways to go about it? (laughs) Definitely not. It definitely doesn't have to. I think it often does. And like Melissa said, that's why people have this negative connotation or maybe fear around confrontation is because it often does. But yeah, ideally, definitely not. Um, If you look up the definition, because I was curious, there's a couple different ones floating around. But basically, a confrontation is just having a face-to-face clashing of opposing ideas. And you can absolutely do that in a respectful way. And in a way that humanizes both parties. And um, 
yeah, some of the work I do involves having really potentially touchy conversations with people like I think you guys do where we know going into it, we disagree on fundamentally everything. And you can still go into those with a level of just respect toward these people as a human being who's deserving of respect and being heard. Um, so no, definitely doesn't always have to end in a fight. And I think that's tempting. I know Brene Brown was talking about this around the election and she was saying it's way more fun, objectively, it's just way more fun to get in fights and to attack people and shame them and it feels good in the moment. And she was even saying, you know, if she thought that worked, she would do it. But of course that doesn't work. And I've personally never changed my mind because of getting in a fight or having someone scream something at me. It's just not effective. Absolutely. And thank you so much for looking up the actual definition of confrontation because it's important to remember that it absolutely does not have to be this yelling match. I know a lot of people think it does, but it absolutely doesn't have to be a yelling match or a screaming fight or whatever the case may be that people have the image of in their head. <laughs> right, exactly. It often is. <laughs> right. Um, but what I'm wondering is if it has the potential to devolve into something a little more volatile or something more angry or something potentially triggering. Do you have any rules for yourself, either personally or professionally, that you kind of adhere to in terms of when you know when to exit a confrontation? Right. I think honestly, as soon as it gets to be too much is the short answer to that. I'm really big into telling people, and this is easier said than done, like all of this, by the way, but it's something I'm working on to just immediately take a cool off period. First off, before I even get in these potential confrontations, or we can call it a confrontation, but before I even get into these conversations that could get ugly, I take a long cool off period. So for example, which this is easier in social media, if you see somebody say something online and you're not physically there in person with them, it's really easy to just get off your phone, do something else. Sometimes I'll do this for 24 hours or so before I even try to respond because I know I'm going to come into that conversation heated already and that doesn't serve anybody. Mm -hmm. So I definitely am big into taking a cool off period before you even start. But then if you're in the conversation and I feel like tensions are rising, and again, this is easier said than done. I've certainly not done this perfectly in the past. I can think of lots of screaming matches I've gotten into with my family and stuff over the years. So I'm learning this myself. But if I feel the tensions rising or if I come, if I feel a fight coming on, you can always just say something like, you know, hey, I feel this, this is getting tense. Um, I want to make sure we're both able to be heard. Can we table this for a day and come back and, you know, pick this back up tomorrow? You could say something like that. And I think most people would be respectful of that because everyone wants to be heard. And I don't think most people want to fight. So you can always just say something like that. Um, and then come back to it when everyone's kind of in a clearer headspace and less reactive and able to just hear each other better. So yeah, I don't have a hard and fast rule, but it's really if I can catch something before it gets really tense. And again, this is easier on social media where you can simply step away from your phone for a day and respond to that comment later. And people's DMs can wait if you're in the middle of something via DM. And if you're in person, I think it's just a little harder, but you have to take that initiative to recognize when things are getting tense and just step away. 
Yes, and I'm so glad you brought up the social media thing because I think that's key. There's something called disinhibition effect. And Neil talks about it all the time and he does it better than I do. So I'll let him take the reins there. But I think it's a really key thing to note. Yeah, so there is a lot of cool research coming out on disinhibition effect. It kind of started with the internet where you're behind a screen and just firing stuff out. Obviously, we've had it in different ways. You could write letters in the past. It's the same kind of thing of not having to deal with the immediate consequences of your communications or behavior. Right. Um, so we are wondering, I guess, kind of taking that into account, how can we keep transcending into a healthier place with confrontation? What are the steps to that? What do you, do you have any stories or ideas of how we can stepwise that out? Yeah, just to go back to what you were saying about social media, I think, yeah, it can be used obviously badly. A lot of people say things on social media I'd like to think they'd never say in real life. But I also think sort of being in this lockdown when we're mostly having conversations online gives us all a good opportunity in a way to sort of practice these conversations where it is easier, at least for me, when you're typing out what you're saying and you have a chance to go back and edit your words before you say them and you can just step away and just simply not respond versus being in person when you're in the heat of the moment and you're saying whatever flies out of your mouth. So yeah, I think it gives us a good chance to practice some of this stuff. And as far as steps, so I've been studying nonviolent communication methods a lot. I don't know if this is something either of you are familiar with, but I really like the framework that that teaching lays out. And I kind of put my own spin on it and have been testing out some of these steps in conversations I've had on social media. I'm thinking specifically of some conversations about race that I've had with other white people where they were saying things, you know, like racism didn't exist or just kind of your standard things that um, people tend to say. And especially back last summer around Black Lives Matter protests, I was seeing a lot of that. And as far as steps, so again, I'm a big fan of cooling off first. So that's step number one that I think a lot of people overlook. And then giving yourself, which this is another step I think a lot of people overlook, giving yourself some self-empathy before you even try to go into the conversation, especially if you know it's going to be triggering, you know they're going to say things that irritate you or you already feel sort of triggered before even going into it. So while I'm cooling off, that's not just doing nothing. I'm trying to like actively give myself some empathy, which could look like journaling, ranting to a friend who's kind of like a, you know, objective third party you can just rant to about this conversation or what this person said before you even try to address it. That's really helpful and that's something nonviolent communication teaches as well, just to give yourself that empathy because you may not get it from the other person, you know, you can't control how the conversation's gonna go. And so only once I've done those two, then I also like to ask the person if they're able to engage in a conversation. I think this is also a step that we often skip. I definitely used to just sort of plow straight into this conversation and just come right at that person without even asking like, hey, are you open to discussing this with me? I'd love to understand your viewpoint better. I'd love to talk. Are you open to chatting briefly? Something like that. Um, and then another step that I'm really big into that's from nonviolent communication teaching is a lot, I think people call it different things. I tend to think of it as like reflective language where, so let's say this person, I'm thinking of a couple conversations I've had over Instagram where somebody had said something racially insensitive about slavery was so long ago, like, you know, who cares or it's reverse racism is a thing, something problematic. 
Um, the first thing I, I did is when I go into those conversations, I try to empathize and then use some reflective language. So that could sound something depending on the situation, like, you know, thank you for expressing your opinion, which is not, by the way, the same thing as saying I agree with you, but I hear you. Um, I can tell that, you know, based on what you said, you care about equality and, um, justice or anything that you could pick up on from their language. So this is sometimes tricky, but even when I fundamentally disagree with somebody, I try to use some sort of reflecting language to let them know that I've heard them Mm -hmm. and that I'm not just going to plow right over what they said. Um, So if somebody said something about, I'm trying to think of an example here, like uh, I've seen some conversations where people said that um, they didn't personally see racism because they'd had a lot of struggles in their life. And this was coming from a white person Mm -hmm. or, you know, they've had financial struggles or what have you. You can say something like, you know, I hear you. Thank you so much for your honesty. Um, I can tell that you really value fairness or whatever it is you're hearing them say. I don't know if I'm explaining this well, but I just sort of try to mirror back to them that I've heard them. And then I also moved right into trying to be vulnerable and establish some common ground. So I could say something like, you know, I hear you because at one point I also didn't understand X, Y, Z, or at one time I held those beliefs or whatever it was, just so I can establish that I'm not trying to be some woke police or holier than thou in any way, but that I've also been where they're at in some way. And I think that takes a lot of people's walls down and then hopefully you're able to have a more conversation, a more constructive conversation where you move into what you're actually trying to convey or a strategy you're trying to get across or an action step you're trying to have them take. But I think that's really key at the beginning to establish that you hear them, you're seeing them as a human being worthy of respect, and that in some way you can also relate to them, even if you fundamentally disagree. Absolutely. And I love the human aspect that you're injecting into all of your work because I think it's so easy for people, especially on social media, to look at a profile picture or just plain old someone's words that are typed and think they're talking into the void rather than to an actual person. But if you're looking at someone's rhetoric, whether that be in the comments section or in a caption of their own photos or whatever the case may be, are there any people that you look at and say to yourself, mm, that person probably shouldn't be confronted? Right. I would have used to say yes. And I've definitely had conversations with friends recently where we were looking at something someone said and we were like, oh my God, that person's beyond hope. Like we're not even going to try. And recently, I've come to think more and more nobody's past the point of hope. Because honestly, I just think that's kind of sad if we're viewing certain segments of humanity as just beyond hope, right? Like, that's not a very humanizing way to look at other humans when we're trying ultimately to fight for social justice. Um, I'm going on a tangent a little bit here, but I follow Loretta Ross, and I've taken some of her courses. She's this amazing activist and speaker, and her whole thing is calling people in instead of calling people out. And her kind of thesis message is if we're fighting for social justice, which ultimately we all are here, it is so the opposite of that if we're using dehumanizing language, canceling people, or simply writing people off. Like that's the exact opposite of humanizing or social justice. So anyway, no, I don't think really anyone's off limits. 
I think it's certainly some people you know is probably going to be a tougher conversation. But some of the work I'm doing right now is actually having conversations um, with an organization that I volunteer with where we're specifically having conversations with known white nationalists or um, people who I know going into it I could not disagree with more. And we're trying to not persuade, but we're just trying to have some empathy and learn why they feel the way they feel and just understand them better. So a few years ago, I would have been like, absolutely no point in even talking to that type of person, which mm -hmm. I'm not really proud to admit. But now I don't think anyone's, I don't think anyone's beyond hope. You know, I've heard some of the most inspiring stories I've heard are people, I'm thinking of this one story of a woman who used to be a neo-Nazi hardcore her whole life and you would think probably someone like that's never going to change her mind and she's since been de-radicalized and now her work is helping de-radicalize other neo-nazis so if she can change i don't think anyone's beyond hope yes i love that exactly and we can't use anti-social tactics with people that are being anti-social exactly be it's hypocritical yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. And so I think that plays into the next one. When you're confronting someone with a goal in mind, how do you make sure you're still hearing their points of view? Mm -hmm. I think it's more about slowing down than anything. And again, like, as I've been saying throughout, I'm still such a student of this myself, because in the past, I've definitely gone into conversations where I was just thinking of what my next response was going to be. And if you're in that headspace, you can't hear one another. So I think a lot of it's slowing down, asking questions and being curious more than just trying to get your next great point across. Also, some of the things I mentioned earlier, like using reflective language, you know, saying, for example, it's so simple, but just saying, I hear you, which that's not the same as I agree with you, but it's just saying, I hear you. I hear where you're coming from. Um, that goes a long way in letting people know that they're safe and that they're heard. And if people don't feel safe and heard, why would they continue talking to you, right? So um, that reflective language, mirroring language, you can also say, like, I think what I'm hearing you say is X, Y, Z. Is that correct? And that just kind of slows down the conversation, I think, saying things like that and lets them know that you're hearing them. Um, yeah, so it's definitely easier, I think, again, on social media where you kind of have that time where you can just simply step away. But... I think just slowing down and asking questions is really key. I absolutely agree with you there. I think a lot of times asking those questions can help lower the heart rate, which can also help slow down the rate at which minds are going and thinking these thoughts, helping them prepare for potential confrontation. So I think that's key. What I want to know is since you're studying these things, you have this curiosity, you have this passion, you're working with these organizations, are you noticing anything about the way these conversations are evolving? I mean, I really hope so. And I'm kind of in a little bubble of this, so I don't know what it looks like just <laughs> in the larger landscape of it. I mean, I think the tendency I've noticed, which is partly what made me more interested in doing this type of work, is um, more of a negative tendency, which was just especially like last summer I saw it and maybe it was just because I was home and on my phone more and everyone was kind of having these tough conversations we were encouraged to have, but I just saw more than anything a tendency to block someone the second you disagree with them, to delete them, to just not even try. And I've definitely been guilty of that too. So that's really why I'm more committed than ever to like trying to have these conversations. Um, I do think more people are getting interested in it. I mean, people like you guys and the work you're doing and 
just that we're having this conversation at all. And it does seem like there's more of an interest because I think people have done the whole cancel culture thing. And I think we're all very aware that that doesn't work. So yeah, I hope, I mean, I'd be curious if you guys feel like it's changing in a positive way. I think it's turn. I think the tides are hopefully turning that way. I think so. Yes. Yeah. And, and we're noticing even the, as the tides do turn, as things do change, there's kind of this streamline effect into we're understanding that we have more of a locus of control over this, meaning influence. Our generation is working on shaping things on a second by second, minute by minute, day by day basis. And the younger generations are really stepping up. Gen Z, they're more meta minded than we ever were. Oh, absolutely. I think yeah, so. Gen absolutely. Z will save us all, I think. <laughs> yes. They're so smart. <laughs> they give me hope. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, so with that being said, with all the things kind of happening as a non-judgy person working on helping shape the debate, how do you make sure people know, hey, no judgment here, but here are some alternative ways of um, going about this, especially with delicate societal issues? Right. So my whole shtick is that I don't have a shtick is what I like to say. So I, what I mean by that is I try, whether this is about veganism or the way you eat or the way you see race or vote or whatever, I really am more interested in having people self-persuade, which I think is a more effective method than me kind of charging into this conversation being like, here's what I know and you should think the way I think. Because ultimately, I don't think that works. And I studied persuasive communication a lot during my master's degree. And you know, ultimately, everybody has to make up their own mind on their own time when they're ready, which doesn't mean you can't provide alternate points of view, like you said, or provide, you know, hey, this documentary really opened my eyes. Maybe you could check it out and we could talk about it together. So I do do things like that. But I'm more interested in hopefully having people self-persuade, which I think that comes from having conversations where you're slowing down, you're asking questions, you're asking people to re-examine and maybe articulate to you why they think the way they think, which a lot of times lets people see some of the holes in their own logic and sort of start to unpack that on their own. That's the hope, at least, because I think when you can self-persuade, that's going to be a lot more, you know, just real change and more sustainable change versus you. Because I've definitely changed my mind when I think back. Like, people have come at me with information, and I've temporarily changed my mind or sort of modeled my behavior after you know whoever it was but the real lasting changes in my opinions um and the way I view the world have all come as a result of me self-persuading myself so yeah I think we can always refer people to information um I try to do that though really carefully so it doesn't come across again as like I'm more woke than you or I know better because that's just off-putting so if I'm trying to present alternate information, I would try to take the tone of, hey, this documentary, this book, this podcast was really eye-opening to me. I learned so much. I was so ignorant about these things. Um, here's the link. If you want to check it out, maybe we could talk about it together. And I think that's important, too, because then you're giving that space for community and letting someone know it's not that you're better than them. It's that you want them to hopefully learn, too, and then you'll be there to sort of talk it through with them and you can more be on that journey together versus like a student teacher vibe, if that makes sense. 
Yes. And what I love about your work is how intersectional it is. You obviously talk a lot about veganism and you tie that in with environmentalism. And now you're tying in these race and cultural issues and highlighting these systemic disparities and inequalities that have been running rampant in this country, especially. And so I love your intersectionalism. I think it's so important, especially right now. And um, full disclosure for anybody tuning in right now, if you've seen pictures of Neil and I on our social media, on our business page, um, we're white. (laughs) And that's part of the reason why we're hitting home tools for these types of conversations is because we know that white people need to do a lot of legwork right now and do the majority of the work here because we have been benefiting from the structures that perpetuate inequality among groups, whether we know it or not that we're benefiting from it. So our, our question for you is, as white people, do you think there are any specific ways of framing our language or any specific types of resources we should use in these conversations to avoid seeming holier than thou, especially when talking with other white people or people who may not fully understand the picture quite yet? Right. Yeah, no, that's a really important thing to be asking. And I'm very much at the beginning of my unlearning and learning about racial issues in this country. So I'm very much in the thick of this myself and and at the beginning of my journey. So I think, though, everything I've mentioned before, as far as just um, empathetic communication, letting people know that, hey, you know, from one white person to another, like, I've been where you are. And again, not coming at it from a woke police standpoint, all of those things can be really effective tools when you're trying to have these conversations. So can the, you know, cooling off beforehand, giving yourself self-empathy if you know it can be a really hard conversation. And I try to remember, and like, of course, correct me if if anyone feels that I'm wrong on this, but I feel like as a white person, it's not my job to do all the teaching or have all the answers because how could I? Because I've you know, I am a privileged white person myself and could never fully understand. So I see my role as more trying to pass the mic or refer people to sources that have educated me, but not have all the answers and not act as like the primary teacher. More say to other white people, you know, I'm in this boat with you. Um, I had a friend do this for me at the beginning of the summer of 2020 when everyone was, a lot of people, myself included for sure, was really beginning their anti-racist education. I had a good friend of mine who's white come to me and be like, hey, as you're learning all this, like, it's awesome you're doing this work. You're going to want to talk to other white people about it. It's not okay to burden black people with this. Like, don't go to black people and ask for their support or education. So I think it's important when I'm talking to another white person to just be like, hey, I'm here if you want to talk about this if we want to just brainstorm or like compare notes we got from this documentary or whatever um I try to do it more from that angle versus like I know everything because I absolutely don't and I never will um so yeah I, I just try to pass the mic to activists or writers or people of color that I've learned from um and let them know like hey I'm totally in the trenches with you on this and yeah, it's just on all of us to, to do this education and not to act like, you know, I think a lot of people get really, white people I've talked to get really overwhelmed trying to have these conversations about race because they feel like they have to go into it with all the answers and all the stats and 
have like note cards of information to say the exact right thing. And that's not the point. And then I think when we get in this loop of, of toxic perfectionism, as Loretta Ross, who I've learned a lot from, she calls it that, I believe, that's just more white people centering ourselves again when we're so hyper-concerned with sounding smart and saying the right thing. That's missing the whole point, right? So it's not about having all the answers or knowing all the right things to say. It's more just about um, doing what you can to pass the mic and share whatever resources you can, I think. I love that you said that because if you're starting a conversation with another white person or someone who doesn't comprehend that full picture yet, that's an automatic empathy point. It's something you automatically have in common with them. And that's a good starting point. Absolutely. You're working with the physics of the situation there really well. As white people, we've had so much space and room given to us. I'm a white male. I know it's just a lot easier for me to speak out loud. So I know I have to learn how to be better at stepping back and going, here's an assist. Here's where you can go to learn more. So I like how you're doing that. It's kind of setting up a boundary. And so that gets into what are the boundaries in this, especially from our point of view. Do you have any in mind that you know not to cross? How do you know when it's time to say it's time to throw the assist, so to speak? Yeah, you know, this answer has changed for me too, but Recently, I don't have any hard and set boundaries as far as this conversation's off limits or this question's too tough. I think we have to ask the hard questions of each other. Now, of course, keeping in mind, you're not going to want to go into a conversation and trigger somebody or, you know, it depends wildly on the person and the situation. So we have to go into these conversations being really aware that things can be triggering and not do anything to, of course, worsen anyone's trauma or anything like that. But in general, yeah, I think we can ask the hard questions if we do it in an empathetic way again and with people's dignity and just humanity in mind. I will say as far as boundaries, since you bring this up, I think the boundaries I've been thinking about a lot recently are more to do with when, you know, we have to step away because sometimes you can do all the right things and say all the right things. And this is important to note, like, Sometimes people just aren't going to be able to have a civil conversation with you or a constructive conversation. And so I think you do have to be mindful of when to step away for your own well-being. And, you know, I've, for example, had a lot of really kind of heartbreaking situations just with personal friends and family in my life who over the last year I have just had to distance myself from for my own well-being and sanity. Because sometimes, again, you can do all the right things and try to call these people in and do everything you can to be empathetic. And sometimes you just have to draw a line in the sand and put up a boundary for yourself. So that's kind of a been a tough lesson for me because, um, yeah, I tend to want to give people like a million chances. And it, it, is, it is hard when you think someone, quote unquote, should understand something and they're just not. So I do think um, for your own well-being, you have to be able to know when it's time to maybe mute that person on social media because you've tried or maybe just simply put some distance in between them and not see them in real life anymore or, um, yeah, just distance yourself because, of course, and Loretta Ross, again, I keep referring back to her, but she teaches that a lot to like try to call people in, but at some point when you've tried and tried and that person just won't meet you and won't be respectful, Sometimes you do have to call people out or simply just remove them from your life. So yeah, I've been thinking about that and kind of experiencing that on a personal level 
a lot recently. Mm-hmm. And I think those can be really tough pills to swallow, not only recognizing other people's boundaries, but absolutely understanding yours and knowing what your own boundaries are and not feeling guilty afterwards for setting them. Yeah, it's it's hard. But ultimately, you know, like if we burn ourselves out, then that doesn't serve anybody. If you're just spending all your time on sort of a dead end conversation and you're just banging your head against the wall with someone who's not getting it, like your time's so much better spent elsewhere. Yes. And that's key because if you're going around that cul-de-sac and you forget to go down the road, often I think we've found is just keep the off-ramp open. And if they want to join, they will They'll kind of merge with us. And it's kind of cool when they pop up and kind of want to evolve with us. So that kind of plays into this last question, your intersectionality work. Could you tell us more about kind of the roadmap of your work, where you see it going? We see it more relevant than ever. How can we continue to talk and work on all these things that you're working on? Yeah, well, thank you, first of all. And um, I've just learned so much in the past year that's made me shift in terms of what I do day to day. I've definitely done communication, quote unquote, wrong in so many ways in the past. So I never want to sound like I've got all the answers or got it all figured out. Again, like I'm such a student of all this myself, but I am shifting the work that I do to be way more trauma informed, way more empathetic. Um, And this is still sort of shape shifting. So basically, you know, I'm hoping to have my own podcast actually up and started pretty soon where I'd love to dig into more of these types of issues about how we can communicate more effectively and have better conversations. So yeah, watch this space. I'm actually excited to start a podcast soon with a good friend of mine who is very into all these types of issues too. Um, and then, yeah, I've also actually recently, like I mentioned at the beginning of the call, I coach people on eating more plant-based, but I've totally revamped that offering to just include this type of information in our coaching. So it's not just about what you're putting on your plate. We're talking a lot in my coaching about the intersectionalities of veganism, how it's very much intertwined with social justice issues and food accessibility and privilege as white people, especially for sure. And um, how you can, if you do go vegan, make sure that you're portraying it in a way that's non-judgy for lack of a better term. And so, you know, that that all folds into what I do as a vegan coach. Um, yeah, because I, I just think it's all it's all so related. Like you said, it's also intersectional. And we can't just be mindful of social justice in one little isolated realm, like what we eat, for example. It's just all super intersectional and related. So yeah, I'm, I'm in the process, really. I'm very much in a transitional space, to be totally honest, and just really re-examining everything I do for work and making it more empathetic, hopefully way more trauma-informed. And um, yeah, so I guess watch this space is the short answer, but I am excited to get my podcast up and running soon and just continue to coach people in a way that's a lot more intersectional and and well-rounded. Perfect. And our last question is, are there any general takeaways you have that you want people to walk away with or any tools you want them to glean after hearing you talk about all this? I think at the heart of everything that I'm trying to do, we just have to realize that like everyone, this sounds cheesy and very much like something I talk to a lot with my therapist, but I really do think it's at the crux of everything is that everyone's got their own pain and their own wounds and sort of limiting beliefs. And like, we just cheesy as it is, like have to see 
everyone's humanity, even and especially when we disagree with them. Um, and it doesn't mean we ever are going to see eye to eye, but I think when we can start to see where people are coming from and understand where their beliefs come from and how, you know, their traumas and their life has informed how they view the world. Um, I think that's kind of at the crux of everything. I mean, that's very big picture, but I think that when we have that layer of empathy, it just moves us out of a space of being angry and combative and argumentative. Even if we still disagree, which we probably will, we can just go into these conversations with a lot more um, empathy for what that person's going through as a human being. And I think until we start to all move in that direction, everything else we do is almost a band-aid, right? Because it's like we're still not going to be holding any compassion for one another. And I just think that's where we have to get to more. So that was a very double Pisces, like big picture <laughs> answer to that. But that's kind of what I try to keep at the forefront of everything I think about. No, that's perfect. And I agree. I think that's absolutely where we all need to evolve to collectively. Yeah. And I think that's key because you're conceptualizing personal transcendence with that. Um, and I think that's just awesome. And we all need that more often. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on and for doing all the important work you guys are doing. We're doing our best too. We're not perfect either. None of us are. Nope. And, <laughs> and we're excited for your podcast. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you have a name for it or anything yet? Yeah. So it's going to be called, it's sort of a play off a phrase that my mom said to me a lot when I was being a bratty little kid. Um, probably a lot of people's moms said to them, but it's called um, how it's how you say it. So it's like a spinoff of it's not what you're saying. It's how you say it. The name of the podcast is it's how you say it. And my friend and I, Brittany, we will have hopefully that first episode up and running really soon. We may be coming to you guys for some techie advice and whatnot. That yeah. should be soon. Very cool. I'm excited. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Um, and where can people find you if they would like to connect? Uh, if anybody wants to connect, my website's thenonjudgyvegan.com, and I'm also thenonjudgyvegan on Instagram. Great. That was great. Thanks for talking with us, and let's all get to work. Thank you so much for being here. We really loved having you and talking with you. Thank Thoughtful. you again. I'm really appreciative of this. This was awesome. And that's a wrap for today's discussion about confrontation. Thanks for catching up with us. Again, feel free to check out our patron programs on Podbean and Patreon. But it's been great catching up with you. And until next time, keep catching up.